Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by this message. For more information about Metro Church, visit our website at metrochurch.org.au. Isaiah 54, though, has been a key scripture for us this year. I want to take some time. I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures. You won't remember them all, trust me. Um, And I want to take the time to unpack something to you that I think is extraordinary. Uh, Towards the end of the message, I'm going to start saying some things to you that I've never heard anybody else ever say. I had never understood them. I never realized what they were about or their significance. But just in this week gone past, the Holy Spirit... Really, I, I, I don't say that to add his imprimatur to my speaking. I say that to give you an understanding that I'm growing like you are. I'm not preaching out of a theological degree. I'm not speaking out of some kind of message I downloaded somewhere or other or something I heard someone else say. I'm giving you something that is fresh and that's straight from the Holy Spirit for each one of us. Isaiah 54 verse 1 and 2 says, Sing, O barren, you who haven't born." Break forth in a singing and cry aloud, you who have not laboured with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. Now watch this. He says, enlarge the place of your tent. Let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Don't spare. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. And so we have been speaking the last month on enlarge. And this month we're speaking about that next verb, which is the verb of to stretch from where you are. Now, there are two things that stretch us as people. The first thing that stretches us is difficulty in our life. In the Psalms, Psalm 4 and verse 1, it says, In my distress or in my difficulty, you enlarged me. And I'm going to speak about that in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, I'm going to talk about the delays of God, about sometimes the thing that, Uh, that causes us to reach out beyond our current space and our comfort zone. The thing that stretches us are the challenges that we meet. David never would have become famous as a warrior if he had not, first of all, encountered his Goliath. And so sometimes the very thing that freaks you out the most, the very thing that you are the most 
worried about is actually your greatest point of enlargement and of stretching in your life. So that's the first one. I'll talk about that in a couple of weeks' time. But the one I want to speak to you tonight that also stretches us is our dominant vision. Sometimes it's not the problem that stretches us. It's the perceived opportunity. It's the thing that God puts in front of us and says, you can do this. This is what I've given to you. And uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 1 and verse 4, the, the writer says this, draw me, I'll run after you. In other words, God, you, you start calling to me and I'm going to pursue it. The Apostle Paul says in the book of Philippians, he says, I am chasing after the thing that first touched me. He says, I'm trying to apprehend, it says in the New King James, I'm trying to apprehend that for which I was apprehended. On the road to Damascus, uh, the Lord Jesus himself arrested this man, arrested his attention, and Saul was taken by a dominant vision that began to speak to, to his life. So we stretch for that thing that we desire. Every one of the people that we honoured as leaders here tonight in this place are demonstrating that to you. Something arrested them, something supernatural, something more than just a good idea. There's a million good ideas and a million people have got a million good ideas, but the world isn't changed by good ideas. The world is affected and impacted by people that are gripped by a dominant vision. And I use that word deliberately. Proverbs 29 verse 18 says, without a vision, the people perish. But the word there for vision is not the word for I just saw it. It's the word for gaze at, to stand and to linger at and to look at over a long period of time. Uh, many of us here in this place can no doubt identify the moment as Leash did tonight and tell you about a moment or a time where they saw something and the thing that they saw so gripped them that they went on a journey. For Leash, it wasn't just, well, I'd like to become a volunteer because there's a million things that you could volunteer to. But unbeknownst to us, she came to a service, responded to the yes text, goes back to Sydney. None of us even know she's made that commitment. But in that intervening six weeks before she comes back again, in that period of time, the Holy Spirit began to grip her life and began to speak to her uh, and, and without knowing what the future looks like. Don't mistake a label for a calling. Don't look for a label. Don't look to stick God in a box and go, when I get my, my little definition, then I'll take the next step. Sometimes you have no idea, apart from the fact that you know God's called you. You don't even know what he's called you to. You, you say yes without even knowing what to. Paul, Paul, who was Saul on that road to Damascus, said, Lord, who are you? He said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. His very next phrase was, what do you want me to do? And he says, arise and go to this place. And he went there and he had no idea that he was going to go and plant churches all around the known world. He had no idea about the persecutions. Uh, he had no idea about the opportunities that would come, that he'd end up in Rome before Caesar himself, the most powerful man on the planet. Just like you had no idea when you said yes to God, oh, I know I'm meant to do something. You had no idea that that would take you in front of TV cameras. But you didn't do it to get in front of TV cameras. You did it because I've got to say yes to God. I've got to say yes to what Jesus asks of me. And I could go around this room and not pick three or not pick four, but pick dozens of people who I know have said yes, and then the journey continues on for them. So tonight I want to talk to you about the stretch of vision, and then I want to give you some things that I think are profoundly the opposite of what most Christians believe and do. And uh, I, I said a couple of weeks ago, to act in the opposite spirit, sometimes that's a, a drastic key to walking with God is to do the opposite of what religion tells you, to do the opposite of what's normal per se. So let's talk about the stretch of vision. Second Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. And I'm going to go fast because i got a whole lot of scriptures I want to give you. So just jot them down, look at them later. We'll go onto the website uh, by Tuesday afternoon, the podcast will be up of this. You'll be able to hear it again if you'd like to. 
2 Corinthians 3.18, watch this. It says, but we all with unveiled face. Now, let me say this for those of you that don't know the Bible much. The Bible is not just about do this and don't do that. It's not just about prescribed behaviour. It's not just about trying to give you a set of moral boundaries or some kind of compass for life. The scripture is to teach you how the universe that God made works, how God works and therefore how you that are created in God's image will work as well. So when do we read this verse here? It's not saying turn up to worship. It's not saying when you come, you know, take your veil off because everybody was veiled. That's not it at all. It's telling us about something dynamic and supernatural and spiritual that can happen in our life. It says this, but we all with unveiled face, taking off our masks, taking off the thing that is our pretense, taking off the, you know, I've got to look cool because everybody expects that of me or whatever. Beholding, now this is the spooky bit because the spooky bit here is the next phrase. It says, beholding as in a mirror. Now everybody here probably today at some point or other looked in a mirror. When you look in a mirror, what do you see? You see yourself. This is not the same mirror. It says, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. So I look in a mirror and instead of seeing me, I see the me I can be. Jesus said in John's gospel, he said, and the glory that saying to the father, the glory that you and I have, I have given them past tense. So this is a totally different thing. When I come into worship, I begin to behold a dominant vision of the me that I can be. And then it says, if that was not powerful enough, it goes on and says, and when I do that, I am being transformed into the image of what I behold. So I don't uh, look into the mirror and see me and become me. I look into a mirror. It's the word for mirror. I look into the mirror of the Holy Spirit and I see the me that I can be. And then the Holy Spirit who gives me that mirror, he says he begins to work on me and changes me into the image of what I look like. This is... uh, uh, A very incredible verse that says, when you and I do what we've just done in the first 20 minutes or so of this service, which was not sing, and what we did was not hum along, and what we did was not engage with the crowd, and what we did was not, you know, do that first bit at the start of church. But when we engaged with an unveiled face and began to worship and began to, to, to praise God, when we did that, without us realising, without us putting our hand up, coming out on an altar call, having someone say something to us, every single one of us here, the Holy Spirit began to say, see what you see, I'm going to change you into what you see. The dominant vision of your life is an incredibly powerful thing, and it stretches you. I'm not stretched by my past. I'm stretched by my potential. I'm not stretched by what I've been through. I'm stretched by what God holds out in front of me. And when I begin to worship like that, that's why I have always encouraged people saying, listen, you know, you know, the praise and worship service is not the entree before the main meal. Don't kind of go like, obviously, well, it doesn't matter. You know, I've got 20 minutes before the real stuff's going to hit the ground anyway. Because I believe that from the very first song, the Holy Spirit begins to work actively in the life of every person that's here. It's an incredible thing. You will always move toward the dominant vision in your life. Always. Whatever the dominant vision is in your life, whatever you see about you, you will always move towards that in your life. And I could take a long time tonight if we needed to, but I really don't have the time. There's other things I want to get on to, to prove that point to you from Scripture, that whatever you see, you start moving towards. In a minute, I'm going to take you to the story of Gideon. Gideon was a man whose vision of himself was, I'm the least in my father's house. We're the least family in the tribe, and we're the least tribe in the whole nation. He says, there is nobody less than me. And the whole of Gideon's life had moved towards it. Do you know that you will always find proof for what you believe? If you believe you can't, you will find proof that you can't. 
if you believe people don't like you and that there's something wrong with you. I've spoken to people all of, well, for donkey's years, people that before they came to Christ believed that they were flawed and that everything that happened to them meant that there was something wrong with them. They come to Christ and their life begins to change drastically drastically their life begins to shift why because the dominant vision in their life of the broken crippled wrecked victim of humanity that dominant vision begins to shift and they begin to read the scriptures you cannot read the bible and live a negative life well you can but you can't do it in an authentic way it's impossible listen the message of jesus christ is called good news The disciples went everywhere preaching the good news. Jesus stood up his very first sermon and said, blessed and blessed. There's 11 blessings, I think, from my memory. In his very first sermon, he started saying, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. And every one of the things that he spoke about was a negative and the blessing was the reverse of what they'd experienced. Blessed are they who mourn for they shall be comforted. He says, for the people that are locked in grief, he said, you're blessed. Why? Because you're about to discover the comfort of God that comes to your life. It's a remarkable, remarkable principle of the word of God. And the Bible is full of identity statements. It's full of statements of vision that God has of you. Let me give you just three quickly. First Corinthians chapter one. And verse 30, these are great ones to memorize. For it is from God alone that you have your life through Christ Jesus. He showed us God's plan of salvation. He was the one who made us acceptable to God. He made us pure and holy and gave himself to purchase our salvation. He made me that way. He made me acceptable to God. Therefore, I don't have to make myself acceptable to God. I don't have to prove to God I'm worthy. I've had people over the years say to me, oh, pastor, I feel so unworthy. They would think I'm going to say to them, well, no, you're really a good person. When they say that to me, I always respond by saying, well, that's because you are. I feel unworthy. That's because you are. And then when they get over the shock, I say, but the good news is, the good news is that Jesus made you worthy. My worthiness is not dependent on am I a good Christian every day. Come on, the scripture says we all sin. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If I'm going to rely the rest of my Christian life on my goodness, I'm really going to have a yo-yo spiritual life. I'm going to be up and down. I'm going to look like a roller coaster. And everything in my life is going to constantly, I'll have faith one day and I'll have fear the next. I'll be confident one minute and I'll be in despair the next day. Why? Because I'm living it out of, of my own worthiness or righteousness as the scripture calls it. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. What about 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17? It says, therefore, if any person, any man, any woman be in Christ, they are a new creation. The word there in the Greek literally means a new species of being. It's not even like you just kind of like, well, it's a fresh young version, like version. Is that what I said? Yeah. Fresh young version of you, like one of those kind of makeover shows, like one of those kind of, you know, kind of, you know, go in ugly, come out beautiful things. It's not like that. He says, what I've made of you is actually different to any form of you that's ever been on the planet. That's why ask Christians, you will find out from those that have been born again, you will find out from them, they will tell you about a transformation of their life. Christianity is not an educative process whereby I learn how to be a better person. That is as far from the gospel as you can get. That is so not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach that I can somehow or other learn a little bit more, get a bit more educated and eventually. It speaks about an encounter with Christ that transforms. Come on, can we believe that for every person? When we invite people to say yes to a yes text, we're not asking them to take the first step. I'm asking them to take the step. I don't believe in the first step and well, you know, and then after a bit, then you can learn how to hold your hands up. We we are looking for trained seals in church. 
We're not looking for people that know how to do the church thing. We're not looking for people that can somehow or other come to church and look like a churchian. We're looking for Christians. Amen. And a Christian ain't a churchian. A churchian is someone who goes to church. A Christian is somebody who looks like Christ because they've encountered Christ. I told you I wouldn't have stayed on that stool very long. It wouldn't have worked anyhow, no matter what size it was. We're a new creation in Christ. What about Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6? He has made us, past tense, kings and priests unto our God. And yet most Christians think God sees them as not good enough, weak, flawed and failures. Most Christians think that. You will always move towards the dominant vision you have of you, not what others think of you. And even if God should say something amazing about your life, can I say to you that tonight, it's not what God says about you. It's what, whether you agree with what God says about you. And I'll show you that in just a minute. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 13, this is what it says about these early disciples. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they'd been with Jesus. Can I say, you can get into a situation where you are not, uh, you're not respected. You can get into a place where the opinion of others about you uh, is a low opinion. Never live down, listen to me, never live down to the opinion of, that other people have about you. Live up to what God says about your life. God will take you places that you've never dreamed of. He'll put you in circumstances and situations you never could have imagined. He'll take you why? If you will live out of who God says you are uh, and not down to the opinion of others, well, you know, you're just a clown. Well, you're a lightweight. Well, you don't know enough. Well, I've sat literally at the university a number of years ago, I was invited to sit in a reference meeting for uh, a person embarking on their master's degree. They're all talking about Cartesian theory and stuff, and I just know how to say it. That's all I know about it. And they're on with all this. I was not only the only person in the room, apart from the master's, uh, you know, what do you call them, applicant, I was the only person there without a doctorate, for goodness sake. Everybody else is doctor this and doctor that and professor this and some other else. I'm sitting there and I ain't got, even got a degree. Then I remembered that I do have a degree. I have a BA. Born again. Amen. And then I, then I remembered that I went and did further study and I got a BHS. And you go, what's that? I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then I thought, oh, but I've got a BW as well. I looked around the room. I thought, I've got more degrees than any of you. I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'm baptized in water. I've got a CG. You say, what is that? What honor is that? It's a call of God. And uh, I sat there. And instead of feeling intimidated by all the assembled intelligence around the room, I sat there. And when my moment came to contribute, I told him exactly what I felt this was all about and spoke to it. And fortunately for me, none of them ever asked me what university I graduated from. <laughs> These guys were seen by others as ignorant and unlearned. But the reality was they didn't see themselves like that. So they could, listen, they could function at a different level because they didn't live down to the opinions everybody else has got. Can I say to you that if you are called of God, you never need to apologize for your life. Doesn't make you infallible. I hope it never makes you arrogant. But can I say to you, we shouldn't walk around like we are just barely getting there. And You know, one day when Jesus feels sorry enough, he'll come down and rescue us all because after all, we're just such a mess and such a bunch of basket cases. You know, I'm amazed how many people think that the church, as someone referenced earlier, church is full of just old, decrepit people that have got no future and no hope and they're just leaning on Jesus as a crutch. And I'd go, my God, then how does the church do all the stuff we do if ever that was the truth? Amen. How do you go? This guy here is in universities, uh, you know, every day of his life. Let me just ask a question. So uh, where did you study? Which university were you at? I started, and I, I thought about this the other day when I was with you on the tour over there. Everybody's, you know, we, the first person we spoke to had had a degree with a triple major, and I'm going, okay, that's pretty impressive. But you know what? 
Everybody's just people. And if you're called of God, I hope you hear this tonight. I'm not, I'm not trying to give you a message to raz you up. I'm, I want you to hear something I think that's quite profound. Stay with us. Because Jacob's life, Jacob in the Old Testament, his life changed uh, with, uh, after an encounter with the angel and he got a new identity. We've been stretched by a dominant vision. And I want to ask you tonight, what is the picture you have of you? Does it line up with what God says about you? Or are you just one of those people who just goes, well, yeah, that's good for the preachers to preach. And the crowd razzes with it. But I know the truth. I know how I really am. Do you? Genesis 32 verse 28 says this. He says to Jacob, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, which means literally supplanter. We would say it this way in Australia, cheat. His name meant cheat. And he's lived his whole life living up to the dominant vision of his life. His mother called him a cheat when he was born. And he lived up to the dominant vision of his life. That's why you should be very careful of the nicknames you give one another or kids. You know, you know, like stupid or some of, the, some of you here had that imprinted into your brain by somebody. Naughty. All kinds of stuff. Jacob got called cheat and spent the rest of his life living up to that dominant vision until he wrestles with an angel and the angel says this to him. He says, you know, you have been like this. You no longer are going to be called Jacob, but Israel. Israel means prince with God. Israel. It means to be a prince with God, for you have struggled with God and with men, and you've prevailed. Let me give you one more story, and I'm going to finish with this one, so stay with us. Just give you one more story, the story I referenced earlier, the story of Gideon and his encounter with God. Judges chapter 6 and verse 12 says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you. Now watch this. Here comes a dominant vision statement from God. We referenced before 1 Corinthians 1.30, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. This is no different to the angel of the Lord speaking. You go, yeah, but an angel hasn't told me. Yes, they have. I'm it. And I'm telling you tonight. And God wrote it down because he wanted you to know. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, you are a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Jeff, I just can't get rid of the old stuff. Well, let me ask you what the dominant vision you have is of you. Revelation 1, 6, he's made us kings and priests. Kings rule and priests minister. That's what you're supposed to do, both of those things. And he speaks to this guy and he says, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. That's who I see you are. Verse 15, he goes on, he says, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I'm the least in my father's house. He says, there's no way I'm the least of the least. But God, but Gideon rather acts on God's command. He acts like who God says he is. I'm going to give you, there's a few steps here. and I want you to stay your brain with me a minute. I'll be finished shortly. But he's, first of all, he hears it and he goes, well, that's ridiculous. He doesn't believe. If, he's, if we're being honest, he hears it and he goes, not me. You've got to be kidding. I'm the, I'm the least of the least. But in, in obedience to what God says about him. His next task is to go up to the grove where they worshipped idols. They worshipped Baal, up behind a grove of trees behind the, his home. And he went at night and he took the servants because too afraid to go in the day, too afraid to go alone. And he goes up there and he chops those things down. He, he acts in alignment with what God has spoken about him and starts moving towards what God says. Well, when they wake up in the morning and discover that the grove's been chopped down, they go, who is this? And everybody says, this is Gideon, son of Joash. They go to Joash's house, his dad, and they say, bring him out. Well, watch this, because Joash uh, stands in the place of bravery for his son, but let's see what he's got to say. Judges 6, verse 32, same chapter. Therefore, on that day, he, his father, who knows you the best in life? Mum and dad, you know? And this guy all of his life has grown up, listen to me, in a home environment where he says, I'm the least. If he said, I'm the least in my parents' house, who do you think told him he was the least? Who do you think gave him that impression all the time growing up? 
you're, you, you know, you're just a young whippersnapper. You are just, you know, a smart aleck little kid. Shut up and go. If they get him out there doing, can I say this without being offensive, he's out there doing woman's work when men didn't ever do it. He's crushing the grapes out there, crushing the corn to get some meal. He's doing the smallest job. Then he goes and cooks, which men didn't do. And he goes out and he does all this stuff in response to the angel. And the father comes out. Watch what happens when somebody agrees. Therefore, on that day, he, his father, called him Jeroboam. Saying, let Baal plead against him because he's torn down his altar. The word Jeroboam, I've looked it up. It's exactly what I'm saying to be so. Jeroboam means fighter against Baal. So he, he's heard you're a mighty man of valor. He says, no, I'm not. I'm weak. I'm a loser. I'm a failure. I can never achieve it. Then his father comes and says, you know who my son really is? My son's a fighter then you think that's pretty powerful. He starts moving towards the dominant vision in his life now of that being a warrior. Now see what happens next. In Judges chapter 6 and verse 34, it says this, but the spirit of the Lord came on Gideon. Then he blew the trumpet and the Abbey Israelites gathered behind him. This guy who's a nobody, this guy who says I'm the least, the man who says I can't do anything, but I want you to notice the Spirit of the Lord never came on him when he was saying, I'm the least, I'm the worst, I'm incapable. It was only after he said, you know who I really am? I'm Jeroboam. I'm the fighter. I'm the warrior. The angel had told him that. But it wasn't until he started moving towards that that the Holy Spirit began to come on him. And when he did that, his life began to change. Christian tradition generally tells us, many of you will have heard it, felt it, thought it, tells us that the more we tell God of our weakness, our brokenness, and our, our unworthiness, the more we tell God how unfit we are for service, the more God answers us and uses us. Is that not so? I remember as a kid learning to pray this prayer, I, though so unworthy. Still I'm a child of his care was a song we sang. We said, you know, uh, we would pray prayers that said, Lord, pity my simplicity. Suffer me to come to thee. As though somehow or other, you know, God was just so merciful that even a loser like me could come and approach him. And the sad thing is there are churches all around the world where exactly that gets reinforced week by week. You're, you're bad. You're a terrible person. You, you are just so broken and you are so wrecked. But God in his amazing mercy just puts up with you anyway. And yet, the Holy Spirit never came on his old identity. I'm broken, I'm a sinner, I'm distant from God. When he acted in accord with his God-given identity, Holy Spirit power followed. When we act in accord with our God-given identity, you are not going to impress God by telling him how bad you are and how much you need him. He doesn't respond going, oh, look, they're so terrible, I'd better bail them out. Why do you think Paul the Apostle starts off every single one of his epistles saying this, I'm called of God. I'm God's man for the Gentiles. He starts off telling you who he is in Christ. He'll reference, as he does in a couple of the epistles, talks about his past life and what he says, I was the chief of sinners. I was the worst of sinners. But he doesn't start, he's not saying to God, God, you know how bad I am. God, please use me. You know, when I was in Teen Challenge many, many years ago in America, we were studying over there and, and the, the guys in the thing used to sing this song that kind of went, Jesus, use me. And oh, Lord, don't refuse me. Surely there's a work that I can do. Even though it's humble, help my will to crumble. Though the cost be great, I'll work for you. Now I applaud the willingness of people to surrender. But the underlying thought that if 
I tell God how miserable and useless I am. Somehow or other, God gets more of the glory. And yet, when I read the story of Gideon, I see the Holy Spirit never came on him until he said, you know what? I'm taking on a new identity. I'm taking on who God says I am. I'm taking on, I'm a fighter. I'm a warrior. Now, do you want to hear something really spooky? Let me give it to you. The name Gideon literally means warrior. From his birth, he was called, but in Gideon's life until this moment, it's nothing but potential. Can I say to you that as a Christian, when you got born again, you were given a new name. Acts 11 verse 26. And from that moment on, they began to be called Christians in Antioch. It was in Antioch they were first called Christians. Acts 11.26. And why did they call them Christians? It wasn't because they were trying to give a label to a new religion. They called them Christians, Christ ones, because that's what these people demonstrated. They lived a life as Christ ones. And because they lived a life like Christ ones, they said, oh, you're Christ ones. Christians is how we say it. When we act in accord with our God-given identity, Holy Spirit power always follows. Let me say to you tonight something that I wrote down here just while I was standing in worship. God's looking for vessels, not victors. People that have got it all going on. If you'll surrender as a vessel, he'll make you a victor. But first of all, you've got to come and say, God, I'm going to be the blank slate. What do you say about me? I've said to people before, and I guess it's probably just too old hat, but I'll say it again because some of you want to know. I was the shyest person I've ever known. So shy that if I told you some of the stories, they're a long time gone, but they're so embarrassing. They're embarrassing to talk about how painfully shy I was. Never could have imagined. And I'm not here today because I went to some kind of self-help motivational thing. It's because I got verses out of this book that said that's not who you really are. This is who you really are. If any man speak as the oracles of God, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. But you have an unction from the Holy One. I remember where I was. I remember the time of day it was when that verse leapt off out of the first epistle of John chapter 2 and impacted my life. And I began to realise that I was anointed by God. And I was anointed not when I felt like it. I wasn't anointed when everybody else said I was. I was anointed by God. And my life changed. Why? Because Holy Spirit power always follows your acceptance of a new identity. Are you with me tonight? So what does God say about you that you need to take on board? A friend of mine many years ago, her name was Kay Stay. And Kay Stay, all of her married life, hated having a rhyming first name and surname. So at one point or other, I remember she decided to change her name. Personally, I would have changed it to, I don't know, you know, I don't know, Mary Stay or something or other, or Go and Stay or, no, no, I wouldn't have done that. She changed her name to Kathleen. Now watch what I'm about to say because uh, this is so important in this whole process. Do you know, every time I'd go up and she worked with us and she'd come into the office and we'd all go, hi, Ka- sorry, Kathleen. I don't know how long it took for us to change the identity we had of her. That's K-Stay. It took a long while. Now, some of you here, it, I don't know why, it's just tradition and I don't really mind whichever one of these you do, but it's tradition in Australia, isn't it? Uh, pretty much at probably a lot of places around the world, when you get married, the woman takes the husband's surname. You don't have to. It's not a real, certainly not in the Bible. Just do what you want. But I say that to say this. You know, how long does it take for you to stop writing your name as Rhonda Rhonda Weaver and say, I'm Rhonda Woodward? I'll guarantee you, I don't even know what Yvonne's McKay. How long do you think it took you to stop writing, you know, Yvonne McKay? Zara. 
The, why do I say all that? Because, listen, it doesn't fall. Gideon had never fell on him, and overnight he's just bang. He actually started taking action. I'll, I'll finish with this verse. Here we are. This is James chapter 1, verse 22 through to 25 from the message version. It says, don't fool yourself into thinking you are a listener when you're anything but. Letting the word go in one ear and out the other, act on what you hear. Those who hear and don't act, that's what Gideon did. He heard and acted. Those who hear and don't act are like those who glance in the mirror. We're tying it all up. Remember 2 Corinthians 3.18? We all beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. What happens if I behold that image and then I go out and I never put it into action in my life? Everything I just did loses its power. They glance in the mirror, verse 24, they walk away and two minutes later have no idea who they are, what they look like. Watch this, verse 25. But whoever catches a glimpse of the revealed counsel of God, the free life, even out of the corner of his eye and sticks with it, is no distracted scatterbrain, but a man or woman of action. That person, the one who sees it, and acts in accordance with it, that person will find delight and affirmation. The word affirmation means that it's going to, they're going to see proof of it. When you affirm something, you say, that's true. So God is saying here, come on, when you come and worship, I'm changing you. Now go out of here and act in accordance with what I've said about you, the dominant, the new dominant vision of your life. Go out and act in accordance with that. And when you do, you will not only get delight in it, but you're going to get proof that what you have done and what God says about you is coming to pass. Amen. I just want you tonight to understand when it comes to enlarge, God's got a lot more ways to enlarge you and I than just simply putting us down on the rack and trying to stretch us out, trying to enlarge us by push and pull. God is not about that. Maybe may be one of the ways God can use. But God's primary method is to hold this up and say, this is who you are. I cannot tell you the number of people I've prayed with that have had life-controlling problems. And without a whole lot of hullabaloo and everything else, I just said, let's pray you become like Jesus. Pray that they become like Christ. I've got letters at home in my study drawer. I kept them. Of people saying, if you'd told me I could be this free, I would never have believed you. And it wasn't because we said we're going to stop this and we're not going to be this because that would be then making the negative the dominant vision. All I've said to them is, see what this says? That's who you really are. You just got to go and look in a different mirror because the mirror you've been looking in is the mirror of the natural man, the mirror of the natural life, and you need to see who God says you are. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for every single person that's here. God, I pray for people here that for whom this night and that message is, is got the potential to transform their entire life. They've looked at themselves and thought, I can't and I'll never. And it's too hard and it's so beyond me. And yet, Lord, you say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I can live a holy life. I can live a God life. I can hear the voice of God. I can walk with God. I can serve God. I can be one of God's appointed people on the planet. And God, you say that's who we are. I am who you say I am. I'm not who everybody else said I was growing up. I'm not who life has tried to tell me that I am. I'm who you say I am. And so, Lord, tonight we want to become vessels, not victors. We're not waiting until we've got it all worked out. We're coming like vessels tonight and saying, Lord, here I am. Here I am. You can pour your spirit into me. Because, Lord, I'm agreeing with what you say about me. Regardless of what it feels like, looks like, sounds like, what everybody else talks like, I'm who you say I am. If that's you tonight in this place, I'm going to ask you, because there are people here tonight and you've lived with a secret inferiority complex, always feeling like you're not good enough, always thinking, you know, if people knew what you were really like, they probably wouldn't want to really be that connected to you. I've spoken to people like this in church. And I want you to to say tonight, God, I'm going to become a vessel. There's people here and you've thought, well, you know, I'm I'm saved, I'm in the kingdom, but really, I don't really matter that much. I'm just another one of God's 
big mob of kids. He probably doesn't. I've had people say to me, I don't think God would even know I exist. And yet he says to you, I've called you as a king. If that's you tonight, I want you just to stand to your feet right where you are. And say by your standing, God, I'm becoming a vessel in Jesus' name. I'm not waiting to become a victim. If that's you, just stand up wherever you are. Don't be shy. Come on. Don't mind. Thank you for standing up. Wherever you are, if that's you, thank you. Thank. Come on. Stand up if you need to. Never. Don't let the opinion of what somebody else might think about you. Well, you know, I don't want anyone to see. I don't care whether you're a leader in this church, a pastor in this church. I don't care who you are or I are. Every one of us, that need, if the Holy Spirit is touching you, the first step is to say, Lord, I'm going to let you imprint your vision on my life in Jesus' name. What are you facing this week, this month, this year? What are the obstacles? What are the opportunities? Are you going to go into them going, God, this is who you say I am? Or are you going to go to them and say, oh, God, please feel sorry for me. God, please help me. God, you know what a mess I am. Or are you going to go in there saying, God, this is who you say. Come on, if you need to stand, I'm just going to wait 30 seconds more. Because if you need to stand before I pray, I want you to stand before God. Thank you to everyone that's standing, by the way. God bless you. God bless you for saying that's me. God bless you for saying that's me. God bless you for saying that's me. Will it be quick? Probably not. But it'll start tonight in Jesus' name. Father, for every person standing right now, people that are acknowledging, and God, by our standing, I stand with them, Lord, and say, I'm, I'm saying to you, I'm a vessel. I'm saying I, I, I'm throwing out the old things. We're cutting down the groves of Baal that have lived around up above us. The things that have spoken to us about other life and difference and abuse and brokenness and the things that other people have labelled us with. Even people here in this place, Lord, that have been labelled by their family. Well, you don't expect much because look what they went through. You know, they, they're probably never going to get over it, you know. And yet, God, you say I'm a new creation in Christ. You say I'm brand new. You say that you called me. You called me. So my old life is dead and gone. You've given me a new life. And Lord, I stand with that and say I'm going to be a vessel for a new life. In Jesus' name, Lord, you'll take us on to victory. However you want to do that, we thank you for it. In the mighty name of Jesus. Let's sing together that song, Ruby. I am who you say I am. I want you tonight to embrace this. Please, this is not the way we finish the service. This is our moments for saying, Holy Spirit, would you help us? Holy Spirit, would you take out some of the junk, the words that people... I see right now the Holy Spirit's like, because it says in Proverbs twice, it says the words of a talebearer are like wounds that go deep into the innermost part of the belly. And some of you have carried around the words that mom or dad or teacher or sister or brother or somebody spoke over you. They said that about you. They said that about you. They said you were silly. You were... You weren't smart enough. They said you'd never have all those things. And I see the Holy Spirit right now just going like, saying, I'll flush that out. I'll flush that out in the name of Jesus. That's gone in Jesus' name. That's gone. That's gone in Jesus' name. And I want you to take on the new picture. Look into the mirror right now and look out there and be pleased with it. James says you'll, you'll have pleasure in it. You'll delight in it. I look into the mirror and go, God, that's who you say I am. God, I'm your child. I don't have to prove a thing to you. I don't have to make you like me. You already like me. You love the new creation me. You've prepared that for me just so that it fits me. I don't have to be a clone. I've got to be just like Jesus would look if he had my name. Thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's sing it together. Thank you. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me.
Father, would you help us so that every step we take this week will be a step towards a new dominant vision in our life. That's who God says I am. I've moved towards that. I'm blessed, favoured, called, chosen. Lord, when the enemy reminds me of my past mistakes and failures, I'll pause long enough to say thank you for reminding me of what Christ did. That's who I was. It's not who I am. In Jesus' name. You look this way a minute. I mentioned earlier on about being born again. I, I believe in it. We, we've, there's many ways you can do it. Yes, text. 488 It's up there on the screen for you, I think. Or about to be. Uh, it's been so powerful. People did that just this week, I know. And people are in the service. And I love the fact that, you know, no one's embarrassing you. And it's, that's not my big deal. I, I love the authenticity that nobody was there saying, come on, do it, do it, do it. But you're at home. You're wherever you are. You're in the service. I don't know. And you say, I'm saying yes to Christ. But can I tell you that when you do that, we are in this church, we are not praying that you'll just take one small step and become a bit like Jesus. and You know, you'll be in church. We're not praying that. We're praying that you will encounter Christ. That in that moment of saying yes, your life will change. I believe in being born again because the Bible talks about it. I believe that you can be born again. Your life can go from one thing to something completely supernaturally different in an instant of time. And so I want to pray for you right now. If you listening to this, maybe even on the podcast, wherever you are, you can do it anywhere around Australia with 0488. If you're overseas listening to this, because people are, then we've created a new way for you to do that. You can do it online, or if you prefer to go online, in Australia you can do it. You go to yes.metrochurch.org.au. I got it this morning because I wanted to see how it looked. And so I got it this morning at 7 a.m. on my email. It came through to me. And it literally takes two clicks. And we don't spam you. We don't sell your address to anybody. You'll never get anything else from us apart from an invitation to follow Christ. That's all you'll get. And I want to pray for you right now. I'd love to lead you in this prayer. And I'd love it if you would say it with me just where you are. And I want the congregation to say it because we're saying it for the people that are going to text yes to 0488826392. We're praying that they don't just go, well, I'll give Jesus a bit of a go. You know, I'll try becoming a Christian. I want him to encounter Christ. And this is the prayer you pray that encounters Christ. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I need you in my life. Come into my life. Change me. Save me. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. 